Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to everyone. A beautiful Sabbath day today. I think the rain and the winter and spring is hopefully, hopefully gone just in time for Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers out there. We are grateful for you, even if we don't say it enough. We are grateful for you. Welcome to uh, Al and to Crystal. We're grateful to have you here. Earlier this week, a friend called. I hadn't seen him in a couple of years. We've worked together on a couple of occasions. And in the the times that you get to chat, he's a very religious man. Uh, comes from a very uh, religious family. And his father was, has been in a, an old folks home or a, 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 a retirement home. And I believe it's now he's been in palliative care for the last month. And he called me. We hadn't talked in a, probably a couple of years, actually, since we started working for different companies. And texted me on Tuesday night saying, I'd like to talk to you. I said, oh, it's been a while. How are things? He goes, I need to actually talk to Murray, the preacher. That's what he would call me when we wanted to talk about things other than work. So I said, okay. So I called him and he asked if I could come over and pray over his father because he wasn't going to, didn't think he was going to make it through the night and they couldn't get a hold of his priest, which is, if you know his, his religious background, that's, it was uh, quite a different experience to get called to say a prayer over uh, someone of a different faith because their priest couldn't make it. Now, again, we don't have, we have different beliefs, but he felt a need to connect with God before his father died. And he ended up dying uh, the next morning, about probably about 10 hours after we were together. But it was an interesting call to get that someone with on that precipice of death, there was a need to connect with God. Mankind, since the beginning of time, since the beginning of recorded time, has struggled with the concept of death. When we think of different belief systems, the ancient Egyptian system, death was simply a temporary interruption rather than a complete cessation of life. And that in their belief system, and this is probably breaking it down rather simply, it definitely goes into much more detail than this, but that's not the purpose of, of this message, that eternal life could be ensured by means of piety to the gods, preservation of the physical form through mummification and the provision of statutory and other funerary requirements. The more you did that was good, the more likelihood you would be better off on the other side of death. Buddhism they don't see death as an ending either, but rather a beginning to a new life through reincarnation. What one can be in the next life to a Buddhist is really the result of how they lived in their present lives, of, the, of their, their previous life. 
Hinduism, they also believe in what's called reincarnation through a concept called karma. And this karma will determine in what entity you will be born in the next life. And this, this karma, this reincarnation is a continual process to Hinduists until such time that you are eventually released from the rebirth cycle into a final state of enlightenment. Islam believes that amongst much of what Islam believes, that one's eternal destination depends on the balance of good to bad deeds in this life. And you're either granted admission to paradise, where you will enjoy spiritual and physical pleasures, or forever condemned to hell to suffer spiritual and physical torment for eternity. Scientology, which becomes popular through the many in Hollywood that claim to believe in, in that form, also believe in reincarnation, but without loopholes or judgment. You just continue to a Scientologist to continue popping up in different life forms. You die in this life form, you pop up and reincarnated in some other life form for whatever haphazard reason that the gods come up with. You, there's, no, there's no rhyme or reason, there's no earning a better life form, you just pop up in other life forms. Some forms of Judaism, some forms of Jewish mystication, mysticism, also believe in reincarnation. Christianity, Christianity, how you live your life to many Christians determines whether you will live in heaven, in God's presence, whether you will suffer in a fiery eternity called hell, or in some cases, whether you exist in that middle state called purgatory, giving you time to confess your sins. And even, some, even a Christian branch off, like Mormonism, allows for some repentance as a possibility, even while you're in eternal torment. Why such concern about what happens when you die? This is a question we all, no matter your age, have to face. It is the great equalizer. It is the one thing we absolutely all will share at some point in our life, that we will all die. But more importantly, why so many different perspectives? We've gone through a myriad of popular religious beliefs, and we see a vast amount of different belief systems. But what happens when you die? The unknown, which is really what's at the heart of this, causes stress and angst in people and leaving them without a solid answer. Therefore, man has come up with all of these conflicting beliefs. This void of an answer leaves us trying to find some sort of explanation for what happens after we die. We simply, unless you're an extreme atheist, we simply, this can't be it. There's got to be something on the other side. We don't go through all of this for no reason at all. I was at a funeral some time back and was mingling. And many were talking about how their deceased friend, like their deceased friend, they didn't really believe, not really, they didn't believe in God either. And he was uh, an example to them of why the thought process is, why, why it's critical that, you know what, this God business makes no sense. 
And while they were speaking of him, they were commenting, on the other hand, about how he's looking down and hopes he's, hope they're proud of him and he's looking down upon the ball. We can see this, this man is conflicted over this concept. I don't want to believe in God, but I want to believe this isn't it. And if this isn't it, who's in charge of, of whatever is on the other side? So we can see this, these conflicts that human beings get into when considering this subject. So let me begin by asking you some questions. And for those who are online, maybe listening to this online in the future, asking you some questions. Do you believe in God? Do you believe in Jesus Christ as Messiah and as Savior? And do you believe that the Bible is the word of God? If you said yes, or you're entertaining that thought, or you're, or you're thinking that, that there is a God, that there is a Christ, that the Bible is his word, and you're interested in reading through the scriptures, I'm here to tell you that there's no need for confusion. There's no need for worry. And there's no need for fear. The Bible actually has a consistent answer for life's most pressing question. What happens when you die? In fact, we go to the Apostle John in his first epistle in chapter 4. And verse 18 tells us, that's 1 John 4 and verse 18 First John 4, verse 18, tells us that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. Fear involves torment. The God of the Bible is a God of love. And this God of love doesn't want you to fear. He doesn't want you to be in torment. And he doesn't want you to worry as death's door approaches us, which it will for all of us at some point. Confusion causes fear. Who's right? We just listed eight, nine, or ten examples of a myriad of belief systems where we're left confused. We could be left confused. So this afternoon, here in our congregation and here in Burlington. We're going to begin a series of messages that will last over the next few weeks designed to give you peace, designed to give you comfort, and designed to give you answers to life's most pressing questions. What happens when you die? What happens after that? What does the future hold for us after we die? And does the Bible provide a consistent and detailed answer? Can you be sure? As we begin, and we'll have some time at the end of the study for questions, we certainly invite our guests to join us for the meal afterwards, and we have a bit of a roundtable discussion. We certainly invite you to stay and, and share your thoughts and questions and get to know us a little bit, and we certainly look forward to getting to know you. We went over that sampling of various belief systems a few minutes ago 
that exist, including, ironically enough, traditional Christianity that believes in the concept of heaven and hell, and in some cases purgatory, and even in the case of Mormonism, an opportunity to repent while in hell. Did anyone notice a commonality between all of them? There was a commonality in all of those belief systems. In each of them, in one one form or another, there really was no such thing as the end of life. Every single one had, in one form or another, you move from one life form to the next. Every single one. Some called it karma. Some called it reincarnation. Some called it purgatory. Some called it heaven. Some called it hell. Some called it uh, in, uh, the... Uh, uh, the 72 virgins, we didn't cover that, but we, there's, there's any number of, of physical pleasures in some, of the, in some of these forms of religion that just move us from this life, we take our last breath in this life, and then somewhere we find ourselves on some other, in some other life form. Every single one of those religions and belief systems tell us that there really is no such thing as the end of life. Most religions are like that. I can't say all are, because I haven't studied all religions. But most religions, when you break down their belief of what happens after death, will tell you there's no really such thing as end of life. We just move on to something else. It's the something else that they're conflicted about. If you're not being reincarnated into another life form, your soul continues to exist elsewhere in other belief systems. And unless you're an ardent atheist who believes in no God, and that you simply cease to exist after this life, one can't help but hope there's something else beyond this. You can't help but hope. The the human condition is one that there has to be something more than this. So why such insistence by these other belief systems that dead really isn't dead? Why, why, such, why, why such insistence that that is the case? And if there is no death, some, of the, some questions I ask, why the extreme grief if somebody is actually in a better place? Let's go to Genesis 2 and see the source of the confusion. Well, Genesis 2 isn't the source of the confusion. It preludes the, the actual source to the confusion. We'll begin in Genesis chapter 2. And we'll, go to, we'll begin in verse 15. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So we have rules, we have consequences. Eat anything you want. Don't eat that one tree. If you don't eat that one tree, you will live. If you eat of that tree, you will die. 
You may continue to exist in obedience. But disobedience will result in what we're going to call death or end of life. That's what God was telling Adam here. Obedience, you will live. Disobedience will result in this thing we will call death. The word for death here, the Hebrew word, muth, 4191 in Strong's, literally means end of life. Perish, death, to be killed, to be executed, to have your life cease to exist. It seems pretty simple. There is life, there is death, there is existence, and there is absence of life. Let's now go to Genesis 3. See the source of the confusion. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. The serpent, our adversary, was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, just that one tree, God told us, Don't eat of it, then don't even touch it, or you will die. That matches up. Eve, Eve knew what she was talking about. She, that was explained to Adam, and then explained it to Eve, and they understood death would result if we touched or ate of this one tree. The serpent said to the woman, you're not going to die. God said that. God said you're going to die. You're not going to die. God knows that on the day you eat of it, not only won't you die, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. This statement in verse 4 is profound. You won't die. God says you will die. The adversary says you're not going to die. This is a profound choice that Adam and Eve now have to make. Who do I listen to? These are complete opposites here. You're going to die? There's no such thing as death. The adversary tells Mother Eve that dead doesn't really mean dead. I know God told you you would die. That's not really what's going to happen. You're not going to die. Think of how profound that statement is in light of the brief highlights of research we've talked about in the other belief systems. The ones that we looked at cover the major religions and the major belief systems of this world, in which all that we covered say in one way or another, when you die, you're not really dead. Where does that come from? We see where it comes from. It comes from the adversary. So we have major, major religions and belief systems answering the most fundamental question in life, taking their cues 
not from the not from their creator god but from the adversary all of them including ironically enough christianity that says there is a heaven and a hell and you simply go to heaven or go to hell god says you die the adversary says no you don't something else happens This is a rather blunt statement, but this seems like the common belief that all of these major religions share comes from the devil, including Christianity. A blunt statement, but it seems to be true based on what I read and what we've read here so far today. If you believe in the God of the Bible, if you believe that the Bible is his word. So what about Christianity? What about Christianity? Those who believe in God, those who believe that he is our father, that he has a son named Jesus Christ, and that son is is our Messiah and our Savior, and that the Bible is the word of God. Let's forget about all these other belief systems, and let's focus for a minute on Christianity. And talk to Christians. This is a staggering revelation when you stop to think about it. Let's assume that you believe your loved one has gone to heaven. Since I don't think anyone really believes their loved ones go to hell. At least I have yet to be at a funeral where someone looks down and says he's probably going that way. As most traditional Christians do, believe in the concept of heaven and hell. One of the most fundamental beliefs that Christians hold, including one of the first beliefs taught from Scripture, we just read Genesis 2. Genesis 2, that's almost as early as you can get in Scripture. One of the most fundamental beliefs that Christians have is something that they share with nearly every other religion and was inspired, according to the Christian Bible, by Satan and not God. That's staggering if you stop to think about it. But let's not despair. Let's not hang our heads in fear or in torment We just read that the Bible doesn't want you to feel that way. Let's simply go looking for answers. So we die. Let's explore this for a little bit. What does it mean to die? We're in Genesis. Let's go back to Genesis 1. Genesis 1. Verse 21, we're going to cut into several scriptures today, and there's a lot of context as you, if you, if you are new at studying the Bible or haven't studied the Bible, when we break into the context, it's not ideal to break into scripture and pull out a verse because you're missing a, missing a whole lot of other things. We just don't have time today to cover all these other things. But let's just cut into verse 21 for a moment here. 
So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. Verse 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. A couple of examples here talking about water animals and land animals using the word creature. This Hebrew word is the Hebrew word nephesh, which means a living, breathing, created being. A created being. And if you look at verse 25, each nephesh, and we're going to use that word nephesh. It's important that we, that we specify. This created being called a nephesh. Verse 25 tells us, God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. Each nephesh was made after its kind. The waterfowl was, na- was made after its kind. The land animal was made after its kind. Genesis 2, verse 7. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Man became a nephesh. Man became a created being. Same as an animal. Same as the water, same, same type of animal. A nephesh. Waterfowl was a nephesh. Land animal was a nephesh. Man is a nephesh. We share that with all created beings, that we are a nephesh. What is the difference? Let's go back to Genesis 1, verse 27. Remember what we read in verse 25. Each type of animal was made after its own kind. Verse 27 tells us, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So while we are nephesh, like your pet dog, like your goldfish, like your bird, if you you have birds, what we don't share is that we are created after the God kind. We are a nephesh. We are a created being. But we are created in the image and likeness of God. With the ability to think, the ability to feel, the ability to have emotion. Now let's go to Ezekiel 18. Ezekiel 18. While we are created in God's image for a special reason. But again, I mentioned there's a whole lot of context around that. And that is not for the subject of today's message. We could talk about it after if you'd like. We certainly talk about it in one form or another every week while we are here, so we certainly invite you to join us and get the context of what we're talking about here that surrounds all these scriptures. Ezekiel 18, verse 4. Behold, Ezekiel 18, verse 4. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sins shall die. The nephesh that sins, dies. Okay. 
Nephesh die. So, so much so an important point that if you drop down to verse 20, we see it again. The soul that sins shall die. The fact that we are a nephesh, a created physical being, puts us in a position of ultimately dying. That's just a fact. We remember why. Why is what leads to this. Why leads to this. But as a reminder as to why, for those on the audio, I'm holding up the Bible. The why leads to the story of the Bible. Why we sin and what happens after that. But when we see that we die, we remember it was because we sinned. And we ate of that tree and then continued to not listen to or obey God after that. Leviticus 22. Leviticus 22. The third book of the Torah, third book of the law written by Moses, chapter 22, verse 4. Chapter 22, verse 4, Whatever man of the descendants of Aaron who is a leper or has a discharge shall not eat the holy offerings until he is clean. And whoever touches anything made unclean by a corpse or a man who has an emission of semen or whoever touches any creeping thing by which he would be made unclean or any person by whom he would be unclean, whatever his uncleanness may be, that person who has touched any such thing shall be unclean until evening and shall not eat of the holy offerings unless he washes his body with water. I mentioned, let's not get caught up in the context today, the point of this scripture is this word corpse that we read back at the beginning. This word corpse is also the Hebrew word nephesh, because it is a created being. This particular created being that is being spoken about here has lost life. It is just the physical the physical piece of flesh that is now absent of life. But it still, in terms of how God deems this, is still this nephesh, this physically created body. At this point, now without life. This is just one of several examples where a dead body is referred to as a nephesh. Because what is important to understand here is a nephesh is a created being that God has given life to, or, ultimately, that has no life left in it. Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. One of the books of wisdom found in the middle of your Old Testament. After the book of Proverbs. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. where Solomon tells us, and again, cutting into the context here in verse 2, there is a time to be born, and there is a time to die. There's a time to be born, and there's a time to die. There's a time when we come to life, and there's a time when we simply cease to exist. It doesn't say there's a time when we move on to another life form. 
it says there's a time to die. There's a time when we simply stop living. And we aren't anymore. And we become that corpse that is talked about in Leviticus where we are still this created piece of flesh, but it has no life in it. There's a time to be born and there is a time to die. Unlike what Satan told Eve, there is a time to die. There is a time to die. But in saying this, don't forget that God is a God of love and he doesn't want us to fear, worry, or be in torment. So let's not stop with this, there is a time to die. Let's dig a little more, let's dig deeper here and find out what this means. Let's find out what this means. Let's drop down, same chapter of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, let's drop down to verse 19. For what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. That makes sense, since we've just said that they're both nephesh. As one dies, so dies the other. Surely they all have one breath. Man has no advantage over animals, for all is vanity. Now, man certainly does have an advantage over animals because we are made in the image of God. But that's not what Solomon's talking about here. Solomon's simply talking about life and death. And when it comes to death, we are just like our animals. There is no other place we can go. We are just like our animals. We cease to exist. All go to one place. All are from the dust and all return to dust. This happens to all created beings. All physically created nephesh. Man and animals. Souls, created beings, die. That's what we do. We are born and we die. All that in between, that's another story. That's another story for another time, for another time. Let's go back a few chapters to chapter 9 of Ecclesiastes. Look into this a little bit more deeply, this concept of death. So all physical beings end up dying at some point. Their bodies return to the dust of the ground, whether that is through cremation, whether that is through burial, whatever it is, ultimately we become back as part of the earth, part of the dust of the ground, from where we came. Referencing back to the story of creation, the context of which we didn't go into today. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 5. For the living know that they will die. I think that's something we can all agree with. We die. What we don't agree is what death means. But I think we can all agree that we die. We leave this life for sure. But the dead, the Bible tells us, know nothing. The dead know nothing. And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. Never more will they have a share in anything done under the sun. When we die... We have no recollection. We don't think. We're not looking down or looking up on our loved ones. 
We simply aren't. And we have no more reward. Our memory is forgotten. Don't take this out of context for those who aren't familiar with the Bible yet. There's a whole story to come that talks about what happens after we die. Today's presentation just talks about death. We will get into what happens after that when there are potential for rewards, when there is potential for life. Today we're talking simply about the concept of death. Job 14. Let's go to Job 14 just before Psalms. Book of Job. We read in Ecclesiastes that there is a time to be born and a time to die. Job, who lived much, much earlier than Solomon, understood that concept as well. Verse 1 of chapter 14. Man who is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. We are born and we have a limited amount of time on this earth. Eighty years might seem like a long time. But ask an 80-year-old. It's not very long at all. It's not very long at all. He comes forth like a flower and fades away. He flees like a shadow and doesn't continue. So very early on in history, some people connected with God understood that death was death. That we simply stop, we fade away, and we don't continue. This leads into a description by James. Let's go into the New Testament now. We've covered a lot about what the Old Testament says about death. The New Testament, hopefully, provides a consistent message that we will see with the Old Testament. Hopefully. Let's have a look. This description that Job had is eerily similar to description here by James in chapter 4. In verse, we'll begin in verse 13. James 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. This is talking to us about making plans that God may have other, other ideas on. Whereas, you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your own arrogance and all such boasting is evil. But what is life? Life is like a vapor, we are told here. It appears for a little time, and then much like a vapor, you have some water you spray out of a spray bottle. It's there, you can see it, but pretty soon it's gone. You can't see it at all. That is the temporariness of life. Life is temporary and then simply vanishes away. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. 
Verse 27. Verse 27. And as it is appointed for men, Hebrews 9, verse 27, as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. So verse 28 gets into a little bit more detail, hints at a little bit more about what we may talk about in the coming weeks. But don't lose sight of what verse 27 initially says. It is appointed for men to die once. Same message, same consistent message. We don't find the New Testament writers contradicting what the Old Testament writers, what God himself said in the Old Testament. We see a consistent message here. Paul, we read James. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15 for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, another letter by the Apostle Paul. We're going to read one verse initially, then we'll come back to it later. Verse 45. Verse 45, 1 Corinthians 15. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. We read that, that Adam was became a living being. The Greek word here, we've covered the Hebrew word, nephesh. The Greek word here is psyche, sometimes called suki, with a U, sometimes a Y. It's where we get our, our word psyche from, or our prefix psyche from. And it here means living being, living, created being. Let's go to Matthew 16. And see what Jesus Christ himself says about psyches, or nephesh, or living beings. Matthew 16. We've read the apostles, now let's go to Christ himself. In verse 25 of Matthew 16. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Matthew 16, verse 25. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? Four times in these two verses, the English words life and soul is the Greek word psyche, the Greek word for living being. So there's a concept here of life, and there's a concept of soul. Christ here is telling us it is possible to lose your soul, to cease to exist. completely in line, completely consistent with what we read throughout Scripture. We don't get to the New Testament and find some other gospel, some other story, some other explanation than what we find in the Old Testament. This is one consistent, straight message about what death is. 
it is possible, has always been possible, and will continue for the foreseeable future to be possible to lose your life. It won't always be that way. We'll get to that in a few minutes. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Peter is talking to the newly birthed New Testament church after, as they are about to become baptized at the Feast of Pentecost, which we will celebrate in three weeks' time. Peter here, in Acts chapter 2, verse 29, addresses this concept of death using David as an example. The Jews to whom he was speaking looked up to David. He was, he was one of their heroes. He was one of their patriarchs. They looked up to him. Peter addresses this concept of death using David as an example. Verse 29 of Acts 2. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried. Dead and buried. And his tomb is with us to this day. Feel free to go dig it up, and you will find David's bones in David's tomb where they were placed years ago. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of the body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne, he, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. There's a whole lot of concepts here. This doesn't have to do with your soul burning in an everlasting hell fire. It has to do with your body staying in the grave. But that's for perhaps next week and some future weeks. We won't... Get caught up in, we won't get off on a tangent to that yet, but it's the beauty of Scripture that as you walk through it, there's so much that you can learn. Verse 32 This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens. So David's dead. He's buried where his forefathers and our ancestors buried him. He didn't go up into heaven, is what Peter is saying. But says to himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. There's a, as we said, and when, when we read scripture, there's a whole bunch of things we can bolt on and talk about as far as beliefs. And it certainly will be fodder for discussion afterwards and fodder for future messages. What we see here, relevant to this message, David is dead, his bones are buried, he didn't go to heaven. From Peter, the apostle. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So far, what we've covered sounds a little macabre. I prefer to think my loved one is in heaven. 
I prefer to think they've come back as a parrot. I prefer to think something other than they're not. We talked earlier, God is a God of love, and he doesn't want us to torment, worry, or fret. There is so much more to the story. We will, we will, barely, we will barely break the wrapper open on the Bible today to get to that part, that story. But let's look a little further. 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 30. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Some, he's speaking to this congregation. You have many that are weak and sick among you. Some have fallen asleep. Some have fallen asleep. Some are sick and some are asleep. Let's go back to Job 14. Job 14. We read earlier, in fact, verse 2 is where we read before, verses 1 and 2, that talked about how fleeting life is, how it's like a vapor that, and then vanishes away. Job goes a little deeper here in verse 12. So man lies down and doesn't rise. That's obvious when you see someone die. But does not rise until the heavens are no more, they will not awake, nor be roused from their sleep. Hmm. Is this saying that at some point, that death is like sleep, and at some point, we will be awoken from our sleep? We all woke up this morning. We all fell asleep. The older you get, the more sleep is a reward, not a punishment. I don't always like waking up from sleep now, but there will come a time while I will rejoice that I'm waking up from a sleep. Here Job talks about being roused from sleep. This is a first hint that we see that there's something beyond this sleep. 1 Thessalonians 4. Back to the Apostle Paul. initially read back in first john about how god is a god of love doesn't want us to worry fret or torment he also doesn't want us to be ignorant doesn't want us to not have all the facts verse 13 of first thessalonians chapter 4 i do not want you to be ignorant brethren concerning those who have fallen asleep lest you sorrow as others who have no hope when you understand the consistent message of the Bible, you won't be sad. The physical part of us will be sad. I miss my mom. Tomorrow's Mother's Day. I'll think of my mom, and I'll miss her. But I have hope. I'm not sad to the point of despair. 
because I understand my mom, as the Bible here and several other places tells me, she's asleep. She lived a long, hard life. She's resting for when she will be woken up from her sleep. For if we believe, Paul continues in verse 14, that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Hmm. Another hint that there's something else here, and this is about Jesus rising again. And this seems kind of central to something here. All of a sudden, he brings this concept in of Christ dying and rising again. For this, verse 15, we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ, not the dead yet, not all dead yet, but again, getting way ahead of myself here, the dead in Christ will rise first. The trumpet is going to sound, and those who are considered dead, who have died, who have fallen asleep in the faith, are going to rise. They're going to be, that must be one loud trumpet call to be able to wake the dead. They will rise first. We, when, while we cease to exist when we die, this is not the end of the story. Christ will wake us up. Let's go back to Genesis 2. Let's go back to Genesis 2. Why is he going to wake us up? Because death, as final and macabre as it may sound, isn't at all actually final, nor macabre, nor scary. Genesis 2. Let's go back and reread some things we already read. Of every tree, verse 16, of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. We read that. We understand its place that God was talking about obedience. And if we wanted to live with him and in his presence, obedience was required. We already read parts of chapter 3 that told us that didn't take long. We didn't. And we, are now, we now suffer the fate of our choice. Verse 19 of chapter 3. God tells Adam, in the sweat of your face, chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 19, you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. The truth is, the truth is, death is simply God's way of keeping his promise to us. We didn't listen. We die. He promised. He's keeping his promise. We sinned. We die. We don't morph into other life forms. We don't spend mercifully. We sleep. Think of that. Think of how merciful sleep is. I love sleep. 
I don't want to be live eternity in hot torment. I don't want to be worrying about jumping from one life form to the next, waking up and and take, trying to take stock of what I am now. I'm asleep. We simply fall asleep at the end of this life and cease to know anything. This message is consistent from front to back of the entire word of God. And God keeps his promises. Let's go to Genesis 12. Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who curse you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The God who keeps promises, that kept his promise of death because we failed to obey, will also keep this one and bless all of mankind, potentially, through this man Abraham. How does he do that? How does he do that? Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15. We'll begin in verse 3. For I delivered to you, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some... There's that word again. Some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then all of the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. This resurrection of Jesus Christ that Paul is referring to is the answer. That is how God will keep his promise to Abraham. He had to keep his promise to man because we failed to follow him. Death was the result. But death isn't the end. Because our God is a God of love, a love of mercy, who wants to, despite our choices, to share his glory and eternity with us. So how will he bless, give all of mankind the potential of being blessed through Abraham? By the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And as we see here, as Paul notes, That resurrection, seen by so many, written about by so many, provides proof and hope that God can bring a nephesh back from death. And, because there are several examples of bringing a nephesh back to life. Elijah did, 
Christ did to Lazarus. There are other examples. After the, the folks after the uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ that we talked about last week. But this, this resurrection of Jesus Christ to eternal life, proves that God can take this physical nephesh from, back from the dust and give it eternal spirit life. That's proof, and that gives us hope. That gives us hope that death is not final. That while death, we don't know anything when we die, that it is simply sleep. We're not another life form. We're not in heaven. We're not in hell. We're not in purgatory. We're not trying to work our way out of something. We're dead. It's like when you were sleeping this morning. You had no clue. It provides us hope and proof that we will live again. We will live again. And there's potential for better than this. Better than this. Let's go to, stay here in 1 Corinthians. Let's drop down to verse 50 where Daniel read earlier. And take a sneak peek briefly into something called the kingdom of God. Not heaven, but this kingdom that will come to this earth. Verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's why we had to die. Because we are flesh, and flesh dies. So therefore, flesh can't inherit this kingdom. But there's, the story doesn't end. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. It simply can't. God can't give us eternal glory in a sinful state. Behold, I tell you a mystery, and it is a mystery. That is why we have so many variant concepts of what could be out there, because it has been a mystery. Why? Because God said we'll live. God said we will die. And Satan said, no, you won't. And confusion has been resulted ever since, and it's been a mystery. But Paul here is saying, the Bible clears up this mystery. You don't need to be confused. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, the trump will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? And O grave, the meaning of that word Hades, the meaning of the word hell is grave, where is your victory? We read, I just refer you back to First Thessalonians 4. There was an important part there to remember. He was talking about the dead in Christ. So when we match up, that we marry this up here, this isn't just, this particular resurrection isn't for everybody. It is for the dead in Christ. There are future resurrections, and again, I, I, I can't tell you enough how uh, we get off, can get off into tangents when we open the Bible here. But this here is talking about eternal life to those who have given and committed their lives to God that will be for, available to, to, to those people at this thing called the resurrection. And it is this sneak peek into something called the kingdom of God. 
that requires us to be awoken from the sleep of death. At some point in the future, as we read here in the last couple of verses, verse 54 and verse 55, at some point, the really, really, really good news is death will die. Death will be the last thing that dies. And then death, at some point in the future, there's a whole lot to learn about between now and then. But what happens? Death will be the last thing to die. And there will be no more death. Go back to verse 14. Talking about this risen Christ that they all, they all saw. I haven't done the math on that. Perhaps you can at some point. But well over 500 people saw the risen Christ. Saw him, saw him die, and then saw him live. Verse 14 tells us, If Christ isn't risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. This resurrection provides part of the bedrock of our entire belief system. Right here in the pages of the Christian Bible, if Christ wasn't resurrected, then everything we talk about is meaningless, and all of our faith is pointless if Christ is not resurrected. That's how important the resurrection is. That's how important the resurrection is. Verse 35. Some will say, how are the dead raised up? What will, what, what, uh, with what body do they come? There are a lot of questions when we consider the concept of a resurrection. There are a lot of questions. Just how will this happen? Curious minds have asked these questions and many others for centuries. And I bet that my friend and brother Jan has some of those answers. I believe he has some of those answers. And he will be providing some of those answers next week. Next week. But be assured that the Bible is consistent and it has answers. The Bible is consistent and it has answers. One final thought on the connection of the resurrection to death. Considering the various belief systems that we reviewed and the commonality that they all shared, that death really isn't death. That we just bounce into some other life form. Heaven, hell, purgatory, repentance from purgatory, a moth, um, 72 virgins, you name it. We, we morph into something else. But death isn't death. They all share that. That we really do not die, but continue to live in another life form. If that were true, if that were true, why is the resurrection part of the foundation of our beliefs? There's the resurrected from what? From life? We, do, we don't, aren't resurrected from life. We're resurrected from death. Only one message talks about death, and that is the God of the Bible that says you will die. Every other, every other belief system believes we'll live as something else. 
Resurrected from what? From life? More on that next week. Please do join us. I do invite you to, uh, to take some literature from the back that we do have on some, on some of these subjects that we've talked about. Certainly hope that what you see is that the Bible is a beautiful book full of good news. Death, can, death is sad. If you don't have this good news, if you don't have this hope, you will be tormented. You will be fearful. God doesn't want you to be fearful. He doesn't want you to be sad. But the Bible is consistent. Death is death, yes. We don't, we don't think, exist, feel, emote, anything after we take our last breath. But we will live again. And that living again has already been proven. God, multiple times, has resurrected someone back to physical life. He has also resurrected back to spirit life. And that gives us hope. We will uh, take some time after the service to have some some, uh, questions, if you do have some questions. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.